Welcome to the podcast M&A War Stories. You're joined by your hosts, Robert Heaton and Toby Tester. Each week, we walk through M&A projects where we've been involved in the course of our careers, unpacking the good, the bad, and the ugly. Our purpose in doing this is to leave you, the listener, with valuable lessons and experiences that you can use in your own M&A projects. So without wasting any more time, let's get this podcast underway. Hey, and welcome to the podcast M&A War Stories. And of course, he's back, Toby Tester, <laughs> on his, his quest to conquer Spain and Malta. He's returned to Australia, and uh, we're back again, the dynamic duo for yet another podcast. And uh, Toby, you've had a fantastic time in Spain and Malta. Uh, I'm really pleased to hear the, the stories. We won't bore our listeners with no, it. No, 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 no. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. What I can Look, say. It was, it, was, it was a good break. I've been working most of this year, and I was so keen just to get out, have a break, change yeah. the scene, yeah. have a few sangrias and all that sort of thing. And And I did plenty of that. Look, I've got to say, from my own experience, Spain and Malta are yeah. brilliant places to visit yeah, yeah. for a holiday. Yeah. Both. Absolutely. Yeah, both. Absolutely rock. Yeah, love love, love Malta, love Barcelona, love Valencia. Spain's a great place. It rocks. Yeah. Now, we're going to revisit a topic that we touched on before, and we're going to drill down into it a bit more detail. Indeed, yeah. And that is that when it comes down to M&A integration, capability-driven deals often deliver more shareholder value yes uh, but surprisingly a lot of deals approach you from that point of view it's they just don't. really a, a financial decision or something like that that's right and capability driven deals take a more engineering approach to it that's that's the term i use rob look you're an engineer i'm an engineer by background and i like to think that my profession engineering combined with a bit of corporate finance is a nice combination particularly when it comes to uh, doing m&a so for somebody listening that's never heard the word capability deal yeah how would you define it well i think capabilities is pretty much the, the word itself is is how you think of it. It's just something an organization is really, really good at and damn proud about it. It could be a couple of things. It could be maybe up to half a dozen. What I mean, it's like certain companies are really good when it comes to their operations or they're really good when it comes to their customer experience or really good in terms of their sales, but in, yep. in a way that marks them different to other organizations out there in the same industry. And they'll yep. say, that organization, what they've got, they know how to sell or they got their sales distribution network really good or they've got a technology. It's something that they've got and it's a combination of people process, technology, that people see and people acknowledge disproportionately delivers value over anything that they also do. And they say, those are the things you want to basically identify. Those are the things you want to treasure. Yeah. And so really what we're saying is that those organizations build that into their acquisition strategy so that they are expanding their global footprint but yep. what they're really doing is they're expanding that je ne sais quoi, that part of their DNA. That's a, that's a good term. It's a, it's a DNA. There's certain organizations out there, we know it, 
We, we've seen it, whether it's Google, whether it's FedEx, or all the major companies out there, they've got a certain thing about them, and it's identifying what that is. And, uh, Rob, there's a background to this. So this is just not hot air talk, blah, blah, blah. I read papers. I'm sure you read strategy papers in the past. and yeah. But there was one that was written, and this is going 10 years ago now, but it, it to me it stood out. And had something really to say, and I think it's an important bit of reading for any any person involved in the M and A field. And it, they, it's a it's a strategy paper called the Capabilities Premium in M and A. It was written by Booz and Co., which has since become Booz Allen, then since been subsumed into PwC. Nonetheless, really good paper. Read it because they objectively went through and assessed all the big deals that happened in the past couple of decades, whether it's in utilities, media, healthcare, what have you, and they came to a very simple conclusion. Basically, if companies that put a focus on capabilities when doing and integrating deals deliver more value to shareholders compared to those that don't. It was an objective exercise. So, we're not bullshitting. This is a serious approach to doing M&A, and it's an approach that any M&A dealmaker or person who's integrating should be focusing on. We've sort of had this conversation before, haven't we? That yeah. Many deals are just done because something looks bright and shiny, and the CEO yeah. wants exactly. to get a few brownie points. Or, exactly. Yeah. Or, or, the, or is... the CFO looks at two deals and says, oh, if we bolt A and B together, we yeah. improve our cash flow by three cents in the dollar. Exactly. If it's accretive in some way and, and the yeah. Excel spreadsheet says, yes, go buy or whatever, positive cash flow analysis, what have you, then yeah. you go ahead and buy. And I think it's a very myopic to only look at deals that way. Yeah, I'd agree. What we're talking about here is taking it to the next level. We're talking about deals where the outcome from the deal mm. will give a huge difference to the shareholders, not just a, an accretive yeah, exactly. difference, but a huge difference. Exactly, and, 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 it, and it invariably means taking a bit of a longer-term view as well. And in a way, that's – I don't know about you. I find it frustrating, and, and occasionally it actually even pisses me off when I've been involved in transactions in the past that – the focus is invariably what happens in the next three months, six months, yeah, or yeah. whatever, and bugger what happens in the future. And, yeah. and maybe it's because of the way it's structured and all the things and how CEOs are remunerated, et cetera, and a, how, and a lot of that. But people incentivize for short-term results. Now they say, oh, well, what happens long-term? Well, whatever. Now, what I'm going to do just for our listeners' sake mm. is for people that are listening to this podcast, Toby, as always, has got a wonderful way of taking us down a rabbit hole, so to speak. <laughs> and in this case, he's managed to tie the idea of these capability deals with Alice in Wonderland. So do you want to <laughs> well, explain that one? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I remember reading Alice in Wonderland as a kid, and this is a really good bit. And I think this really explains a lot about M&A, so simple stories. But Alice, she went down the rabbit hole, as you say, and she spoke to the Cheshire cat, with this big grinning cat up, up yes. in the tree and looking yep. down on it, sort of saying, and asked the Cheshire cat, so well, what road do I take? And... And the Cheshire Cat responds, well, that, well, where are you going? And Alice says, well, I, I don't know. And then the Cheshire Cat nicely responds, well, then it doesn't matter. If you don't know where you're going, then any road will get you there. And that little sort of phrase from Alice Wonder explains, I think, a perhaps a problem, I think, and I personally witnessed this, I don't know about you, Rob, but a lot of deals 
don't have a long-term strategy. They don't have a kind of like a destination, a clear purpose, something that's compelling, clear and emphatic, something that sustains the intellectual and the emotional energy. It's the vision bit. I don't know how many podcasts we've spoken about this, 10, 20 or so podcasts in the past. We've talked about the the importance of vision, the importance of purpose, but clearly, Rob, we're not going to get anywhere. Certainly when it comes to capability, we don't have a clear long-term strategy. And it is sad, but I have to say, I've been in many a deal where there was no clear long-term goal as to where there might be. There was no definition of there. It's just just occurred to me, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but the Cheshire Cat in Alice in Wonderland could possibly be your principal shareholder because they would certainly want to see where you're going and that you've got a clear vision of how you're going to get there. Well, that would be a shareholder as some sort of antagonist, I would have thought. But I don't know about Rob. What do you think? I mean, I've been on many deals, and I, I've seen this pure transactional view. And what happened in a year, two, three years? Oh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. Hey, look, likewise, I've seen many deals where the deal's done in a very short time frame. Mm. It's, as you say, it's justified on a spreadsheet and a financial yeah. model. Yeah, uh, the the CEO and the CFO and the the, the board get mm. slaps on the back for closing mm. the deal and yeah, making the company bigger than it was yesterday. But there's no real passion in driving a vision, in taking yeah. the company to the height where mm. it becomes the the lead in its industry. Yeah, I don't know, Rob. I, mean, I don't know whether I'm just basically because I'm older. I just become a bit of a cynic over time. But no, what what we're what we're really saying here is that probably seventy five percent of the deals that get done here are just opportunistic. They are justified on the basis of a spreadsheet and a financial yep. model that yep. says, yes, you should do this. Mm. Everybody goes, great, let's do it. Right? Mm. Bonuses get thrown around and everybody sort of goes, oh, that was great, let's do another one. Occasionally refreshing when you come across those few organizations, the other 20%, who know what they're doing. Yeah, it's right. And it is pretty refreshing when they've got a clarity of mind or a clarity of purpose as to the the logic, the strategic logic that they make individual deals and how that fits into what I might call a strategic architecture or kind of like an overall game plan that they're working to to develop and grow the business. Yeah. And and what I would also say is that Mm. for those companies, of every 10 deal opportunities that come across their table they will very quickly say no to at least nine of them yeah 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 that's true right. rob it reminds me you know because we've dealt in a previous podcast we've talked about a number of m a disasters we've actually picked them out you remember yes I do. Um, yeah. and and there's a few and i think so often the ones that have been disastrous are because of that lack of strategy that lack of vision that lack of purpose and that's how they get themselves into a terrible hole well of course you got a model that we talked about in terms of that strategy that goes Mm. on one side between the large and small deals that short and long-term value. Yep, It's almost a matrix that you would use as the starting point to sort of go, 
what am I doing? What am I? Yeah, exactly. Doing? But my conjecture is that I think there's certain deal archetypes. We often use terms tuck in or bolt on or consolidation or yep. product market acquisition, <laughs> so on and so forth. Anyway, I won't go into de- into the matrix in itself. But suffice to say, you can categorize what it is the deal you're doing. But it's important to know what type of deal it is. So there's an acknowledgement that. There's a certain style yeah. or approach, team, this operandi, perhaps the best word, an MO associated with whatever deal type it is. And my argument is that there's probably about six major type deal types, and each one of them has a particular MO. You should know what that is because you may have the wrong MO for the particular deal you're making. The other thing is it sets the direction of the deal. So yeah. to use a motoring analogy, mm. it sets the pace as to whether you're going to go via the motorway or you're mm. actually going to take the more scenic route yep. towards yep. the deal. Yep. Uh, my, yep. my wife will often use a phrase sometimes, and she'll say, so being in Victoria, in Australia, mm. she will often say, so what are, we, are we going to Bendigo or Ballarat? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's about clarity of, of direction. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. No, um, I'm, I'm very particular, and you know, I think that you and I, as M and A professionals, we're very particular about these sorts of things because it's all about context. And if you don't get your context right, things go wrong in, in the actual integration in itself. So a lot of this is context setting. Again, I don't want to sort of get into too much detail around yeah. this podcast, but yeah. uh, the first question I always ask when someone says we're, we're making an acquisition. My first question is, well, what do you do that for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? What's your, what's your vision? Yeah, why, why are you doing it? Why? Exactly. What's the expected outcome? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. what does that look like? And if you haven't thought clearly about that. I know people say it, we've repeated it again, but it's so true. Asking the why, being that pain in the ass like Socrates was, why, 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 you really start getting some answers, but you've got to be prepared to ask the why. You do. But that yeah. actually takes us into your commentary earlier about taking an engineering approach. Yes. Well, I've got to say, here's one for the engineers, see, because my background is not accounting. I did do an MBA and I did major in corporate finance, but my original qualification was in engineering. So I'm proud as an engineer, and I hopefully there's plenty of engineers out there who are also um, experts, and I know that there are. There's a lot of people, funnily enough, I've spoken to a few, and they've actually come from an engineering background. So it really helps because I'll tell you why. Well, I was going to say why, Rob, is because it's an alternate viewpoint. It's a frame of reference. Yes, you've got to look at the financial view. Yes, I understand that. That's absolutely clear. But then there's an engineering or the functional view, the way an organization works, and you get down at the weeds into the way it operates. Ultimately, doing the engineering approach, you're looking at it like an engine, you know? An organization is an engine that has inputs, it processes, has outputs. And the more you understand the nuts and bolts, the way that actually works, the better off you are in terms of what changes you need to make. Well, you and I have got similar backgrounds because, again, yeah. mine's engineering with a, a finance add-on. Yeah, yeah. Well, same and, here. Same here. Uh, I, I, I always used to joke at one time that w- what that allowed me to be was a qualified schizophrenic because, <laughs> because the finance person in me could sit down and go yes that's justified yeah, and yes that yeah. fits the corporate criteria and yes the roi right yeah. but then the engineer part of me was sitting down going yep yeah, how's it going to work how will it actually function how will but it- that you know you, you know. might say it's schizophrenic but i think that's healthy <laughs> paranoia it is because it's you you're right to be paranoid because 
The problem is that if you're not paranoid, you're not worrying, then you're not seeing the problems before they hit the fan. Because yeah. I've been on too many deals, seen other people do it as well, where the shit hits the fan. And I knew it was happening because it pays to be paranoid. Being a schizophrenic and MA is a good thing. I'd agree. And that's a good segue as well into the approach because that mix of an engineering viewpoint and a financial viewpoint mm. brings you to that apex where you can sort of say, okay, I can see the value chain. I can see the mechanics mm. of the business. I can see mm. the value add. Mm. I think one of your comments is that allows you to become specific on capability deals. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I always say, any organization, there are two major processes any organization got. One is the opportunity of order, and the other one's the order to cash. All organizations got them in some shape or form. Do you yeah. understand how that's put together? Do you understand the steps, the processes, the, the value levers? Because you need to dissect that because that really educates not only what you're good at, but also what capabilities or what skills you don't have and what you need to get because it comes down to filling in the gaps. You might be after a certain process or maybe you're lacking in sales capabilities or in customer experience. But unless you do that engineering analysis of the way you actually process your inputs and into your outputs, the order to cash process, you've got to dissect it, bring it down to its essential nuts and bolts. This is the engineering view. You, and then you can actually start putting it back together again as an engine as to where you want it to look. Yeah. So this is yeah. all engineering, mindset, thinking, how you actually look at the various functional components of an organization and how you bolt them together for delivery. Of it's taking the complexity out and breaking it down into its simplistic outcomes, if you like. Um, it I'm, is. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to take yeah. a, a segue into a conversation I had many years ago with the CEO of Rome Poulenc, and I've never yeah. forgotten it. Yeah. And I was sitting in his office, and he was talking about his business and how he went about making major decisions. Mm. And in this case, we were talking about technology. And he said three things, and it, it, it really resonated with me. Mm. He said, whatever decisions we take in the business, whatever technology we adopt, never leave me in a position where I can't take orders from my customer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Never leave me in a position where I can't ship my product out of my warehouse and deliver it. Mm. And never leave me in a position where I can't take cash from my customer and put it in my bank. He said, everything else in between, yeah. we can work around. Absolutely. The thing is, what you pointed, and I think what it is, is the very elements of your order to cash. Know yes. how your order to cash process works. Go into it, agonize, drill into it, assess Absolutely. it, find its weaknesses, find where it's good at. There are your capabilities, by the way, where the things are good. Because the more you work at that, the more you harangue and think about that, the more that drives your deal Correct. strategy, but also how you integrate so you really got to think this out. This is real classic nuts and bolts. Bring it down to its essential working bits in an organization. It's the engineering approach, as we it's just the said. Engineering approach, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you actually put that into a phrase earlier where you said, "Well, don't just integrate, infuse." 
Yeah. So we've, we've, we've talked about the types of deal. Yeah. We've, we've talked about the engineering approach and so on. Yeah. Tell me more about what you mean by infuse. Well, the thing is, Rob, is that with integration, there's a kind of a thought process that you're actually, to put it bluntly, sort of whacking things together. And yeah. say, for example, you had a, a target business and they're really good at, say, their call center operations. Oh, yeah, they're really good. Let's integrate the call center operations. If you do that, you may not be integrating properly. The reason being is that a capability rarely survive on their own. They're not independent of the people and the processes that accompany them. And so you may be, unfortunately, cutting or severing parts of that capability where that you render that capability no longer working as it should. Yeah. You know, like it could be a, cus- I, a customer experience. Oh, yeah, I, they do I'm, customer experience well. Oh, let's just bolt it on their customer. It doesn't work that way. You're diluting the result. Yeah. You see, this is what you'd be so careful about. And I think this is what people, and I've seen it before, organizations don't integrate properly. So I created a new term to try and say, well, look, okay, call it infusion. Oh, give yeah. it another word. And there's a subtle difference here, Rob. It's what we're saying here is you're not integrating as such. Really what you're doing is you're replicating something over where you're sharing the knowledge, the process, and technology so that you're not literally bringing something across. You're more like recreating it based upon the knowledge, the know-how, and the abilities of the people that you're, say, acquiring from. And so you're replicating that same capability, obviously, with the people who actually make that capability work. That that reminds me, Toby, I I did some work in the chemical and pharmaceutical industries in the past, and there's a similar process there that they refer to as exothermic. What it basically means is if you take ingredient A and ingredient B and you mix them together, the infusion of those two products gives you more than the sum of what you started with. It's basically the heat process expands the material and you end up with Mm. more than you put in in the beginning. It's a similar comparison, isn't it? Yeah, no, I I like it. It's it's actually a, a really good take on the whole notion of infusion because I think what we're doing here, Rob, is really move away from this idea of plug and play that somehow like jigsaw pieces, you can put them together and expect them to work, and it's not quite like that. Yeah, well, what, what I've learned from this lesson, and I really do, I love the word. Yeah, you like because, it. Okay, good. Yeah, I do, because we've just hit the nail on the head there. Mm. You and I can do M&A integration, mm. and we end up bolting part A and part B together. Yeah. And, yeah, okay, it works, right? Yeah. But what you don't get is you don't get that added value. You don't get that extra yeah. oomph. You don't, and yeah. By infusing processes, you're yes. actually starting with a view that says, I'm going to make this a damn sight better yes. than, than the actual addition of just Yeah, yeah, it, it's a good point you make. It's actually taking something and making it better yet. So it's a good, really good, actually, it's a very interesting take there, Rob, because it, you're it's right. What, it's, what we've, it's what we've said before. We, yep. We've always said the art of M&A yep. is taking... One plus one, yep. and making it equal four. Yeah, yeah, and I agree. And, and it's a what you just said there. I think is a vital point that by bringing that capability on board, acquiring and integrating that capability, you're not just literally integrating it. You're actually 
through this process of infusion, you're actually improving their capability even more. I think we've hit on something, and I think yes, we have. Uh, I think we need to go away and think about this a bit more because I, I think so. I reckon there's a, a, a philosophy in there that really mm. hasn't been properly unpacked. Um, I agree. I agree. I think you've hit something there, Rob, in this podcast, and I think the both of us yeah. should take it away, have a think. It is a philosophy, and it see is. how we can express that philosophy about infusion, what we just discussed, and bring it into another podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Now, that actually takes us to a really mm. good point, because we've covered a lot of ground again, as usual. Yes, we have. Probably a good point to wrap up. Yep. Sitting in your shoes, let me put you on the spot. Okay. What's your takeaways? Rob, uh, the really biggest takeaway is that you and I, we were working in M&A for what is it, two decades. I think for you it's probably even more now, three decades or even four, dare I say. And we've done dozens and dozens of deals between us, perhaps been many as a hundred. But ultimately really is a leadership thing. Everything we've discussed, yep. Yep. it does come down to leadership. But... Having said that, though, my key points with respect to this podcast and capabilities, I would say this. Use M&A to transform, not to just transact. So M&A is a catalyst to transform what you do. And I think the, you should always take that sort of perspective. Use M&A to transform, not just transact. The other one is to take a capabilities approach. This is a serious, strategic way of delivering long-term shareholder value. It has been proven to work, and you should apply the capabilities-driven approach to your organization. And the final point I'll say, and it's just a nice little quip, little quote, little thing, don't just spreadsheet it, engineer it. We talk about there's a yin and a yang. Yes, I think we take an accounting approach, and I think it's vitally important. We always have that financial view when it comes to M&A, but also look at it from a functional or engineering perspective as well and engineer the value that you want to drive out of the deal. I, I couldn't say it better. I think what we're saying all the way through this is there's M&A where you just simply integrate two parts together and – that's really underselling the value that people like you and I can bring to a, a, a transaction. That's uh, right. I love, I love the engineering approach because mm. it's really unpacking it and looking at what are we good at? What can we really drive in this integration process? Yeah. And, and I mean, I've just been looking at your, your presentation that you're going to be giving later this month. Yeah. Uh, and the bottom line really says it all. Be ready to make a huge difference to your shareholders and to you. And to you, yes. I, I think this is absolutely key. The big thing, and I would like the message here, is that this is not something, like a gift that you can make to your shareholders, but it's also to you because it helps, I think, enhance your own future, whether you're in corporate development or whether you're an integration specialist or whether you're involved in M&A more generally. I think a capabilities-driven approach is a cogent way of delivering uh, shareholder value. Yeah, and and again, as I've thought through this, it's an approach that you've got to start with from day one. 
Mm-hmm. Very much so. Into the transaction with that in mind. Exactly. Expecting that never do it. To... It's not an afterthought, Rob. It's not something no. you do later on. You go in with the front foot, taking that capabilities perspective into the yeah. whole search selection of, of the right deal and your integration. I reckon we're going to talk more about this in the yes. Future. I think so. I think there's. I a, think so. uh, Something there to really unpack in a lot more detail. I think I've, so. Toby, you clearly refreshed from your river. Yeah, well, <laughs> at least I, I, you can tell I haven't drunk too much sangria or anything like that. I'm still, I'm still reasonably well, compass, compass mentor, so. Yeah, maybe you have. <laughs> but no, that's been a, okay. a fantastic conversation. I'm delighted you're back in that we're uh, back in the chair with the uh, podcast, and that's the usual point for me to say, let's call that a wrap. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode of the M&A War Stories podcast. And it's my duty just now to close off and say bye for now. And goodbye from myself as well. Thank you. Thank you.